0: Hey there, and welcome to this week's episode of Casual Cognition. I'm Hank, and we'll be joined by my good friend Nate, and as hosts of this podcast, we're going to guide you through some explorations on storytelling archetypes, and the hero's journey. Later on in the show, we talk a little bit about the commercialization of space travel and what the implications of that might be. As always, we are so excited to bring to you another special episode of Casual Cognition. Before we get into it, I just want you guys to know That we're waiting. CasualCognitionCast at gmail.com. And our poor empty inbox is so lonely. Nate wakes up every single morning and he opens up that inbox, just waiting to hear from our wonderful, amazing listeners. I know you might think I'm joking, people, but I'm serious. We want to hear from you. We love you. As always, thank you for listening and enjoy this fun conversation with Nate and I.
1: Alright, well, let's jump right into it, man. First topic we have on our docket today is something Hank and I hold very near and dear to our hearts because we think it's just such a fascinating and, and beautiful thing to think about. And it's one of those things that's a little bit more esoteric and there's no, like, proving it right or wrong. It's a very subjective experience and the, the subject is that of archetypes in human imagination in human culture in our behavior and how we perceive the world around us and it um it it's people often attribute it to a favorite philosopher spiritualist of ours Carl Jung but this, uh, this concept of, of archetypes actually goes much farther back. Carl Jung was popularized in the early 1900s. He worked with Sigmund Freud, and I believe it was 1919. And he, uh, he's got some great books, but they're incredibly dense, and they're often difficult for the layman to understand. So we wanted to get into a little bit more of a fun, casual conversation about this subject of archetypes. So Hank, do you have anything to uh, to kick us off in this?
0: Well, initially, it's kind of the, just the realization that this actually ties in perfectly with where we ended the, our previous conversation. So, we ended with a story from the Ramayana, and we kind of saw how that was a story relating to the essential human experience, and how we could analyze the story to learn something about ourselves, basically. and this idea of archetypes uh they are you know present they are present in in really all of our stories all of the stories that we tell have archetypes in them and these different archetypal structures Uh, and so then it kind of morphed into this amalgamation of storytelling archetypes the hero's journey and kind of exploring the the soup that is those ideas and how it's all how they connect and how they interface and how we can learn about ourselves through that exploration
1: yeah yeah so Um, I wanted to actually take it back real quick to ancient Greece because you find an example of this concept that's not quite exactly the same as as someone like Jung or or Joseph Campbell who wrote The the Hero's Journey, but um, it's a lot more recognizable to the average person, and that is Plato. So Plato came up with this concept that he called the World of Forms. And what he meant by that is, the, the easy example is that when you talk about a tree with somebody, we all know what a tree is. There's lots of different kinds of trees. We've all seen them. But when you say the word tree, something pops into your mind. Something pops into your imagination that is your based on whoever you are, your psychological profile, your ideal version of a tree, of the form of a tree. But no tree in the actual world matches that exact form. Hmm. So Plato came up with this idea that everything, it has an ideal version within the world of forms. And there's various debate as to whether he was literally talking about this or metaphorically talking about this as a thought experiment. We won't get into that. But I just wanted to talk about how this this idea stretches back a long way in, in our history. And when it comes to the Ramayana, which, as you said, we ended our last podcast with, the Ramayana is actually, in the beginning of the Ramayana story, the... Um, the the writer, or the um, <clears throat> as they say the cognizer of the Ramayana, Valmiki, he has somebody ask him if there's ever been a perfect man. Uh, you know, as, as a, has a is the perfect man ever lived, ever existed, and Valmiki says yes, and I'll tell you the story of him, and then he tells the story of Rama. And so, really what the Ramayana is, and if you study what it is, it is the um, mythologizing of the ideal form of a human being. And he goes through all kinds of different experiences in his life, from leadership to being a husband, being a brother, being a friend, being a leader, being a warrior. And he embodies the, the perfect ideal form of all of these different roles. And the, mm. the general purpose of the story is to kind of give you something to look to as an example of what perfection might be. So it's, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. So when we're talking about these archetypes what we're really talking about is this we use the word archetype. We're talking about this sort of ideal form of something that takes place in the human mind that is ubiquitous throughout cultures. Because all cultures have these hero stories. All cultures have these ideologized figures that are in their mythology. You look at Gilgamesh. You look at, obviously, the Ramayana. You look at, looking at the modern time, you look at Star Wars or... You know, with ancient Greece, with Plato that I was talking about, somebody like um, Odysseus, and yeah. you find you find this story is repeated over and over and over again, and the themes are repeated over and over and over again, and for something in our human psyche finds it very valuable to tell these stories and to try and teach through the example of these stories.
0: Yeah. And the super interesting thing about when we look at all of these stories is regardless of whether the writer or the storyteller is aware of it, they are generally following this same structure that Joseph Campbell picked up on that he coined the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is such an interesting way to look at archetypes and to understand these different aspects of ourselves. So I'm sure everybody will hear some of these these archetypes related to the hero's journey and like you'll kind of just be like you just kind of get a picture of this and this kind of person. Um, or force or energy. And I think it's a really cool way to understand personality and different persona um, in people's personality and just understanding how those relate to uh, human behaviors. Lots of stuff going on here. Um, But like, to go back to before I went completely on a rant was um, was oh yeah when we look at the <laughs> should have just stuck with the rant <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're you're right uh, I got too meta on myself for a moment there anyways. Uh, When we look at the hero's journey, there are these stark archetypes that we all understand somehow on an intuitive level, which are, well, first of all, you have the hero. The hero is like, is naively good and is always going to do the right thing. Basically, this is one Uh, one element to it and if he doesn't do the right thing it wasn't because of his own intention it
1: was because of some accident or mistake that he made yeah yes his intentions are always good
0: yeah and then you have all these but you have all these other super interesting characters you know we focus on the hero but there's all these other characters that are so interesting to look at one of my favorites is the archetype of the trickster mm-hmm so just kind of the like Loki is a perfect example of a manifestation of the trickster archetype this kind of sneaky devious kind of scoundrel character um, that is you know and you and you get a picture when I say the trickster you know everybody has a different idea of what that is in their mind maybe Maybe you're imagining um, like a jester. maybe that's when he has cards and he's you know doing a card <laughs> trick or something or or maybe you imagine Loki or maybe you imagine um, Palpatine a, a ninja or yeah, <laughs> well, I think Palpatine is a I don't know if if he's really an embodiment of the trickster because I mean he does pull a f- pretty gnarly trick. But he's more of like just the pure malignant force of yeah. evil. Yeah. You know? I, I, yeah, and that's I, I like an archetype like,
1: as well. I was just thinking of his more devious and um, uh, manipulative qualities. But yeah. And, yeah. and one thing that is uh, important to say is that oftentimes these archetypes run into each other and m- yes. merge and meld and become. Yeah. And know, that's where it gets
0: even more interesting. Yeah but go on with the trickster. Well, that that was kind of what I wanted to say about that and then, you know, there's so many different examples. There's the wise old wizard or like the wise old friend that mm-hmm. helps the hero in in the their time of need. He gives them like a tool or the the knowledge or the the courage to um to face the dragon, right? mm mm-hmm. Mhm that's 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 part of the hero's journey and oh he has one of the most amazing quotes that i personally really needed to hear and i think it's just oh it's so powerful you mean jesse campbell the cave you enter holds the treasure you seek
1: i think i think you might have missed this line there I think it's the cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, you're totally right. So it's yeah. Yeah, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Yeah. Something along those lines. Um Yeah, Which so then is, there's the dragon. Once you know, again, that's I'll keep another argument bringing this back to the, Star Wars the because monster. it's
1: a ubiquitous thing that people understand and people have seen in that Star Wars is, is almost entirely based off of Joseph Campbell's The uh, Hero's Journey. And if you look at it, it has all the archetypes right there. And it's one of the reasons why it's such a popular movie. And I, in my opinion, it's one of the reasons why the original series is so closely held onto. And then the prequel series and the series they're making now don't quite hit as hard. Because the original series is a very much hold, holding to the, the, the true nature of the hero's journey. And while yeah. the other movies are cool in, in, in a lot of ways, it, they don't have that quality. So if you look at Star Wars, you've got the hero, Luke Skywalker. You've got the old wise man, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You've got the villain, Darth Vader. He even goes into a literal cave. <laughs> And at one point, when he's, when he's training with Yoda, he goes into a cave, meets Darth Vader in the cave, and finds out that it's himself. You know, is like a projection of himself. And it, it, the, um, the whole story very closely mirrors these archetypes. And it's, it's a beautiful story. And something about that particular series of events really speaks to human beings because it yeah, tells well, the story of our lives.
0: That's exactly That's exactly right, dude. That's exactly what I wanted to say is these stories are so powerful because each of these different characters that we look at, you know, we we will identify or disidentify with them according to how we view ourselves. Yeah so basically our ego like our ideas about who we are so some of some of us might look at the you know the don quixote character which is it's kind of a, a mixture of the hero and the dunce <laughs> so people will look at that and be like haha what a fool like they get such an idiot uh and maybe and maybe that's because maybe i would say that because i i'm not really accepting of the part of myself that's a dunce (laughs) you know what i mean and just like oh i'm not like that ever i'm i'm of i'm such a valiant hero you know so it we can learn a lot about how we view ourselves by noticing the different reactions to these different kinds of characters because they're because they're drawn from the archetypes that exist you know y- Jung talked about how they you know they exist like in the collective unconscious so they they're there before any um, social input or yeah which Collective by subconscious society is
1: a, the collective subconscious is basically a literal. Version of what I was referring to before Plato's world of forms, where Jung's idea was that human beings have a a sort of, and not just human beings, all life really has a sort of shared consciousness where these archetypes exist. So the reason why they're ubiquitous across cultures is that they predate and um, underlie. Culture. And really, they've been, um, in the human context, they have been explored and experienced for much longer than civilization has existed. And if you think about, you know, the simplest form of these things the protagonist, antagonist, helper character, um, the various. Uh, personalities that can go into each one. You can see this happening in ancient cultures. You could see this happening in a, in a tribal society. You could see them telling these stories, these types of stories to children, which we know they did. We know oral traditions were um, predate modern society and ag- agricultural society. And you could see them telling their children these stories in order to teach them about the world without them having to Mm -hmm. experience it firsthand. Or when they do experience it firsthand, they can think back to a frame of reference. So it really gets into, I think, the very foundation of our species and our civilization as human beings because I think that it was necessary for us to have these sort of tools to progress past our more primitive animalistic
0: natures. Mm, We stand on the shoulders of giants. Indeed. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point because there's all this information that is stored through our DNA, genetic information, biological structure information, all of these kinds of things. And but, but by having the, the storytelling, and now it's actually even more, you know, more layers. But if we're staying back in um, pre-technological explosion, then, um, yeah, there's another layer of information that is being stored um, cr- across generations. That that operates in tandem with the you know the genetic information because there's a lot that can be stored there you know there's migratory patterns there's in yeah. other it's like species
1: instinctual information
0: yeah exactly which which sort of
1: goes to our our sort of animalistic what you and I like to often call the monkey mind. Are more uh, primitive brain functions, where I would say these archetypal stories are that, but for our frontal cortexes. Hmm. So these stories, instead of speaking to our lower brain functions that our instincts and our genetic memories, which we are starting to realize is a thing, you know, that they're very deep, they're subconscious, they're instinctual. These stories fulfill the same role for our thinking intelligent minds. Our forefront brains are what we like to call consciousness. But, you know, that's a that's a sticky word to use, but I would say isn't, more our
0: intellect. Isn't it even kind of an, an interface? Between the subconscious and the yes. conscious, like neocortical analytic mind, I would say so. I would say wow. so, folks. There you have it. We've made a new discovery right here on casual <laughs> cognition. But
1: let's, yeah, let's uh, let's let's see if uh, if we can convince some science-minded person to buy any of this. People have been talking about this for thousands of years. <laughs>
0: Is, um... This is the thing, is we are just two very deeply curious people, and we like to explore different ideas. Nothing that we say here is like, these are the absolute facts. These are kind of it's how we view things, how we remember things. Uh, we're not doing a lot of reading st- stats off the internet. We're mostly... Exploring these, these ideas um, from an intuitive standpoint and from our personal experiences and feelings on the matter.
1: Which I think is kind of the core of what these archetypes are all about because they're not about... You know, no, no archetypical story is going to tell you this is what's going to happen in your life. What it's saying is this is what happens in a human's life. And you're going to experience some of it, maybe not all of it, but this is the story of human experience. Hmm. And you need to understand that as you go through your life, this is what happens with humans. Heartbreak happens. Triumph happens. Things happen. Death happens. And you're not alone in that. This is everybody's experience and so in that way it also helps you empathize with other people it helps to to understand your own experience through the lens of the thing that everybody else understands their experience through too so it brings people together in that way you know every Mm. in in the example of the ramayana you know it was an oral tradition and it was a um, something that, that was, was told to people around fireplaces and village squares over and over again and one thing that's also important to note about it no two versions of the Ramayana are ever the same mm-hmm. there's an almost infinite number of, of different tellings of the story but all it's the archetypes static. all the archetypes are there they're mm-hmm. all the same. The details of the story change around. So even within one archetypical story, am I saying that right? Archetypical? Or is it archetypal? Uh,
0: I think it's archetypal.
1: Okay, well,
0: archetypal. Or, or archetypal.
1: Archetypal, okay. I'm adding an extra C in there. But even in one archetypal story, you have the, the phenomenon of it Moving around to fit the needs and fit the 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 intentions of whoever is telling the story. Yeah. So I've actually heard somebody joke that Star Wars is a retelling of the Ramayana. Mm. It's just changed some of the archetypes around, and that's a little bit of a stretch. But you know, it's it, it, the the concept is getting at is really what you and I are talking about here, in that these things are almost like outside of time. Mm -hmm. They exist with us throughout the ages and it allows us to connect with the experience of ourselves, the experience of people around us, and the experience of everybody who's ever come before us. And Mm -hmm. instead of them being some dry, dusty tome that exists talking about some guy who lived back in 300 B.C., you can understand that you know he listened to the exact same story that I'm listening to right now or I'm I'm reading right now and he felt the exact same way about it because he was experiencing the exact same archetypal things in his own life. Mm. And in that way we can we can connect to our roots and ourselves as
0: human beings. And that's what we're all about here on casual cognition, right? <laughs> well that's really just really well put nate i i um i don't know if if there's really much to add to that statement that that kind of is just a a nice bow. All right. Although we could wrap cool. back around and talk about so many different other <laughs> well, elements of that. We could, we might have to turn, we might have to turn all these into reoccurring segments. I don't know. But, um, I've <laughs> well, got this actually, Go this is actually, uh, we will, we will definitely be exploring. Oh, yeah. This stuff. Actually, later on in today's episode, we're going to start a new recurring segment. So stick around. That's right. Listen to that. It's called self psychiatry. Yeah. Oh, I gotta just. uh, I gotta just do something. uh, Actually, you 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 take over for a second, Nate. I just I just wanna pull something up.
1: Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into our next topic here. Um. So in our own hero's journey, we have. Made a a new, but also, uh, I mean, how should I say this? We're taking a new step in the same direction, and what I mean by that, well, we really took it back in the '60s for the first time when we left our Earth and took our first steps on another rock floating in space, and this is a. A continuation of what humans tend to do, which is explore and conquer and and seek out new challenges and new places, and so our next topic today is going to be the commercialization of spaceflight, which was inspired by the recent collaboration between NASA and SpaceX which was actually the first time that humans have left earth not underneath the banner of a government so this was done by a private corporation for the first mm. time so this is a this is in my view equal parts exciting and terrifying and we'll get into why. Do you have what, what you wanted to pull up, Hank? Uh,
0: actually, I can, um, I'll, I'll bring it up uh, after we we finish up this, okay. or after we go through this topic. Okay, all right. So you'll bring it up in the next segment.
1: All right, so for those of you who don't know, I already said it, SpaceX and NASA collaborated to send um, some people out to the International Space Station. And it was successful. And the reason why I find this equal parts exciting and terrifying is that in our current culture, at least in the West, the single most powerful motivator for any kind of change or innovation is profit motive. And as much as I I don't like that, I, I wish it wasn't that way, that's just the way it is. More things All get done... Cold hard yeah, cash. Yeah, more things get done in the name of money, both positive and negative, than just about anything else. And so That's true. I'm excited because I think that adding this profit motive, which, in, in case you don't know, basically the deal they made is that SpaceX will develop these rockets for NASA... And in turn, they have a contract that once all this is done and it's proven safe and effective, they'll be able to start sending up tourists into space. Right, and, and so there's a there's that's just the beginnings, the very beginnings of the profit motive that will that I think will eventually come out of space and and space flight, space travel, and it's it's exciting to me because with that profit motive i think that we're going to be seeing a an explosion of um innovation in space travel
0: mm. which
1: is really cool um we haven't Absolutely. we've been pretty stagnant since the 60s as weird as that is to say um you know we've got some we've got a Mars rover. That's about the best we've done since the '60s. You could talk about Voyager, but you know, yeah, the rover is the rover is really the biggest is it uh, the biggest stride we've made in space I travel. I guess the
0: um, the I think it's the James Webster James, telescope. James
1: Webb telescope is not up yet, James unfortunately, and they just uh, delayed it again, infuriatingly. Oh wow. Yeah, really? The, yeah, it's already like a decade overdue. But... I could
0: have swore it was
1: already no,
0: no functional. But they've
1: nope. they've uh, superseded Hubble, though, for sure. No, Hubble's still the most powerful space telescope we have.
0: Wow, I could have swore they already went through with that, but I guess no, nope. was... no, nope. they've.
1: Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe m- maybe I'm wrong. I'm I'm almost positive about that though, because the James Webb Telescope is supposed to be the the next step the um, uh, the successor to the Hubble, and it was supposed to, like I said, it was supposed to go out like a decade ago, and they've just run into problem after problem. And But that's a perfect example. One of the biggest reasons why the James Webb Telescope, which will be many, many times more powerful than Hubble, and will allow us to view some of the most exciting things imaginable up close and personal from our from our Earth, the reason why it's not up there right now is because they don't have enough funding. Yeah. And the, 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 it's just criminally underfunded. So the profit motive is going to add money to these projects. They already yeah, did dude, an that's... evaluation of how much a moon base would cost. Guess how
0: much a moon base would cost. That's a uh, that's a that's a pretty tough estimation to make. Uh,
1: Just think about the, the how much m- the, the the budget of governments, especially the United States.
0: Yeah. Just throw a number. Mm. to make it how big is it you know what's the tech (laughs) like i'll just say it (laughs) so the estimation
1: is between 20 and 40 billion dollars okay i was gonna guess 50 billion so 20 to 40 billion dollars is the around the budget surplus of the german government in 2017 wow it's not that much money when it comes to a government. America throws that much money at bullshit all the time. Yeah. We've spent hundreds of billions of dollars on failed projects over the years. So it's it's feasible for us to do this stuff. We just aren't putting the money in. But
0: once- Well, I guess it's also partially it's only feasible at that price because it's been privatized. No, no,
1: that was actually a government estimate on what it would take for the government oh, if, to do it.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he, so Musk could probably, you know, ha- half that. <laughs> I don't know, man,
1: I don't know. To be honest, like, and this is, sounds we'll get into uh, this. Is, <laughs> expensive. Well, this is what I'm talking about with, believe it or not, 20 to $40 billion is nothing. To a to a government like the United States government, we have a yeah. multi-trillion-dollar annual budget. Yeah, twenty to forty billion to put a permanent moon base
0: up is like that's nothing. Um, yeah, I do can I do want to just jump back a little bit if it's all right with you? Go for it. Go for it. Because we because we you started talking a little bit about um just the the excitement around technological advancement yeah. and kind of moving into space into the final frontier mm-hmm. as it were and you know that really sparked something in me because uh especially when I was younger I was really, really into space. I I just loved uh thinking about space, reading about space, imagining about space and playing games about space and <laughs> it's kind uh, of an
1: archetype for children
0: yeah there, there's Kids a lot love of space yeah and and dinosaurs and dinosaurs <laughs> and fire trucks
1: <laughs> they love they love shit that's big pretty much
0: anything that's big. And space is the biggest yeah space is the biggest thing that we know of <laughs> <laughs> which
1: is hilarious that's like a philosophical discussion worthy of a whole nother topic
0: yeah we'll have a we'll have another we'll have an episode coming up on is space the biggest thing <laughs> <This> we know <laughs> find out next time <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, yeah so. With a little bit of, or disregarding that little bit of silliness there. Because we're very, very serious people, Nate. I don't want to hear Extremely a single laugh,
1: bit of laughter or smiling for the rest of this podcast. You are
0: not allowed to have fun, <laughs> you are not allowed to play.
1: You're gonna start you? triggering me on my childhood in schools, <laughs> American Dude, this schools. This is the perfect.
0: This is the perfect episode to get into that, man. That's exactly that. It's totally in line with uh, <laughs> what we've been exploring so far. Well, let's get back to space. <laughs> so you're talking about
1: excitement and technological advancement.
0: Yeah, just, just, um, and, and I, I just want to bring up so quickly. You know, with sci-fi, with science fiction, these mm-hmm. stories around uh, some sort of setting where the level of technology is at a much higher maturity level than ours, and just overall level of complexity. Uh, and there's there have been some really amazing books that have that have influenced me in that thinking just imagining how how it will be, you know? Cuz we look back on our ancestors as far back as like 300,000 years ago and you know, just imagining okay, if we didn't I mean if 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 we look at how much has changed in 300,000 years and then just think about how much has changed in the last um 300 years. 150 years or 200 years or 300 years compared to the 300,000 and then imagine okay well what's even just another 1000 years going to be like and it's so impossible to predict what's what's going to happen but it is very intriguing to think about the different technological advances and how they would impact our lives and how it would change the experience of human beings this is one of the reasons why I'm
1: excited about this stuff because we need to invest in technology we need to invest in the future and unfortunately that investment is going to be heavily stymied unless somebody can see some way to profit off of it yeah
0: and, and it's I, I oh you know what? You just you just reminded me of a uh of what I did my senior exhibition on oh, in really? high school. Yeah. Bring up uh, exhibitions. I like yeah, it, man. so I I actually explored kind of the the history of technological innovation and engineering challenges and uh and like missions that NASA had done mm-hmm. and part of it was looking at the different spin-offs. So spin-off technology is basically something where they developed it for the space program and then they found a way that they could use it in a commercial context. Yeah. And so some examples of some of the spin-offs uh, from NASA, were are things like Velcro, um, things like hand power tools, mm. like like power drills, cordless power tools. I actually didn't um, know that. Yeah, and there are plenty of other. There's all kinds of other things as well. And I, I remember one of the st- one of the statistics from this was that for every one dollar. That the government invested in NASA, they got seven dollars back in economic, um, gr- like growth or or in in um, the return on the investment was basically was seven high. times seven, uh, which is just unheard of. Yeah. It's completely unheard of for most investments. Yeah, uh, especially on like a sustainable reliable basis yeah and you and i are in in full throated support of that but i think that the and mostly because it it has sorry to interject no, here good. but mostly because so many of the things that they discovered uh made it cheaper and easier and more efficient to uh, and these different things basically to in, to improve quality of life for people yeah um and that's just awesome when you well, can when you can pr- like have economic growth based around technologies that are allowing people to uh, live more comfortably, although that's not necessarily the best thing and we can we'll get into that another day. <laughs> uh but you know what I mean like yeah. improving quality of life for the general population is a pretty cool thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that the the thing that's been holding them back for a long time is that there's not a lot of short-term gain. There's not a lot of short-term return in the past. The difference now in, in my opinion, is that the technology's gotten good enough that people can see the short-term re- returns. And, yeah. you know, it, it it was probably... It probably would have been pretty difficult for somebody in the 60s to foresee the return on, on investment in the space program. You know, there was... Honestly, back then, their biggest return on investment, hilariously, was beating the Russians to the moon. That was like their big goal. And they ended up with all these ancillary benefits coming from it. But really, what they wanted to do was they wanted to win a technological race with the Russians. Yeah. So now you've got people like Elon Musk who says, you know, I, I'm skeptical that he actually believes this, but he says he wants to retire on Mars. And that's an example of where a big-time business leader can think, all right, I can do something to where in my lifetime I can change the world and I can have humongous return on what I'm putting into it. And now more and more companies, more and more private people, not just governments, are seeing that, oh, people will pay money to go to space. Oh, there's asteroids out there with... almost infinite untapped resources that are really difficult to find on earth there's there's (laughs) capability for like economic activity to happen on
0: extraterrestrial places like the moon yeah that was another part of the my project was uh, like the oral presentation was about Asteroid mining and the potential mm. for that. Uh, there, there's a couple different companies that were looking into it, and it's a uh, yeah, it's really intriguing because there's just all these precious metals, and honestly, one of the big ones is actually water. Because if you can, yeah, the thing that's so interesting is if you can if you can mine the water in space. You know, it it costs so much less to move matter to move energy w- when you're in space, or like yeah, to move. There's no friction. Yeah, there's no you friction. You just have to do so. one
1: little burst, and you go on forever.
0: Yeah, and of course, it depends on how fast you're trying to go, and these kind of things. So it's not just like totally free, but yeah, we're, we're the talking of energy that it takes to uh to reach escape velocity for a uh any space vehicle is insane especially considering how big uh they how big these rockets are like three quarters of the space is just for the fuel to get to space and And then once any kind of weight you add is going to begin to exponentially increase the cost yeah, so the thing that's super cool about the idea of asteroid mining is they can actually mine water in the form of ice from these different asteroids, also in potentially pre- precious metals. Yeah, and comets. And then they can synthesize rocket fuel which uh, hyd- and synthesize hydrogen to make rocket fuel from the water, H2O, and then also you have oxygen for life support systems. So it's a really um you know it it could be pretty elegant if you think about having you know these kind of drone drone ships that are scanning and analyzing the different um galactic detritus floating around and uh scooping up some of the good stuff that we can use to propel ourselves into a Multi multiplanetary civilization.
1: I remember hearing this crazy thing I, I'm not even gonna call it a statistic because I don't I don't want to actually look it up, but it was somebody who was a sort of futurist technologist talking about this stuff. And one thing that was eye opening that he said was If a private corporation suddenly surprised the world and said we have a fully functional asteroid mining operation going right now and we can um, effectively get those resources to and from Earth, they would have more economic power in just that capability than all the governments of the world combined because it's just so beyond anything That we can do right now, not the, not necessarily just the technology, the resources, the sheer resources that you can get. It's so much more than we can get right now. If you were able to mine asteroids, and uh, I mean, gold, platinum, uh, diamonds, all these things, they're no longer rare. Yeah. They're
0: everywhere. They're only There's rare. It's still a on huge Earth. pain in the ass. Well, at least with our current technology level, it's a huge pain in the ass to extract that stuff because like we just don't really know how to deal with space yet super yeah. well. That's why the the thought experiment was that like if suddenly a company,
1: you know, just had that technology, their yeah. just sheer resource capability yeah, yeah, exactly. would be would outstrip every other government in the world.
0: Yeah. Especially if they had the you know the the throughput to be able to meet demand, like yeah. global demand. That would be that. That's that's kind of when you get into the um one of the tropes that's really common in science fiction is this idea of these kind of these mega corporations. Yeah, that are literally on the point where they're competing with governments because they have so many resources. Uh, that they they basically have as much power, or even more power in in some cases than government bodies, and then you get some really interesting dystopian kind of um, setting there. Yeah, you played you played Subnautica, right? Yes.
1: The um, the Altera Corporation that you you're a contractor for in that game. That's that's pretty much what they're talking about. They call them transgubs, I think, in the game, and they're mm. basically they're extra governmental corporations that are fully self sufficient. Yeah, and they're entirely based on profit motives. So there's a, there's some uh, there's some sort of like dystopian um, parody that goes on in that game. That's really cool, but it's it's mm. a it's a very real worry that if certain profit-motivated corporations can get a hold of technology and resources that are beyond the, the governments of the world, they can either replace them or um, uh, bring them under submission to whatever the corporation wants. And that's already kind of happening right now. Uh, on earth when you look at a lot of these corporations we won't get into that right now but it's a it's it's a it's a concern to be had when you're talking about space you're talking about the capability that space travel will bring to a group of people you know at its core a government is is su- supposed to be a community of people that come together for the common good of its citizens
0: oh man if 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 we're not going to get into this, but if it was that, man, that would be so
1: awesome. (laughs) And yes, we are we are kind of that's sort of a shell. We are a shell of what that was meant to be. But if you. If you have this sort of capability as a corporation, you don't need to pay lip service to governments anymore. You're going to be so much more powerful than any government. That, yeah, and you don't even need to lobby you just yeah. do whatever you want yeah you're just like oh yeah I'll just take away the gold what are you talking about you're going to regulate me what the fuck are you going to do I, you, I own you I have mm-hmm. all of your resources that requi- that you require to function and then that is the the, the final collapse of the sort of public control on uh, societal progress so this is why this is, gets into into why I find this equal parts exciting and terrifying. Yeah. I'm so happy to see the renewed public interest in space, and you know the 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 progress that we're just starting to make. I I love seeing people like Elon Musk, even though he's kind of a clown, <clears throat> say things like, "Oh, I want to retire on Mars." I love seeing people with that kind of ambition. And, and capability wanting to do these big things. And I, I think that he's just the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be a lot of people who want to get in on this. And it's going to yeah. get going faster and faster. You know, I, I mentioned something to Hank the other day about the concept of whirlpooling where mm. the closer you get to the goal, the faster you go around it and the faster you get the 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 more you you're, you pick up speed and i'm i think i'm seeing this whir- whirlpooling effect in this space mm. thing where you know we just started it back in the 60s and it's been this slow slow thing going around we'd occasionally send out a probe or send out a rover and in the past 10 years suddenly we've gotten to the point where we can re-land rockets which was
0: almost unthinkable 50 years ago so let me ask you this because you mentioned you know now there's going to be so you said musk is the tip of the iceberg yeah there's going to be tons of other people who are trying to get into this but let me ask you this do you think that this where we are at right now is that even possible without musk like dude say what you want about the guy but he is a absolutely amazing inc- incredible human being that is so far removed he, he's from a, he's the a genius, average person you know that, he's a
1: genius yeah he's and absolutely geniuses are almost always insane in yeah. one way or another and Elon Musk is no no exception. Yeah, I don't I don't like to a hate on Musk. Insanity. <laughs> he's I don't yeah I don't like to hate on Musk too much. I just think the guy has kind of a an ego problem. <laughs> like he's just. Uh, but it, 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 at the same time, how how do you not have an ego problem when you're like single handedly bringing your your race to another planet? Almost. I mean, not single handedly, but you know what I mean. Like you are leading the charge. For the progress of humanity so how do you not have an ego problem
0: yeah i mean the thing that blows me away with this guy is the combination of like on one level it's just pure the the technical understanding that he has because you know most ceos uh and we're kind of digressing here a little bit but i think it's still it's still on top in, in this sphere um, he is the face know,
1: of the commercialization of space flight so
0: yeah true um uh, so yeah a lot of these like CEO types you know they're they're like entrepreneur business people they're ex- inspiring they're people people uh and but with with Musk it's like so he has a bit of that even though he's like kind of autistic you know he like he's a genius he he's he's it seems like he's missing like some social you know um layer of understanding or something there, you know. I mean we're all we're all a little bit autistic, so but (laughs) uh it's just and we're all yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um but yeah so so but he's still doing that anyways. He's still doing the inspiration and the the vision and he understands the technology so deeply when when you hear him describing uh, how something works it's like he's struggling to make it as simple as possible yeah it's hard for him so to put into the,
1: words that somebody can understand because yeah, his, and, he's just so his understanding is way far beyond the yeah arena. exactly
0: yeah and so i don't know all of those things for me it it makes him a extremely interesting character and I have to say that I'm just really grateful that he is putting his energy into you know cuz cuz you talked about how it's all profit driven but I think that's another thing for with Elon that makes him a little bit different. Of course he's going to be making the best business decisions that he can, but if you look at the things that he is tackling like if you if you thought about it initially all of these ideas you'd be like yeah there's no way you're gonna make money on this oh you're gonna you're gonna disrupt the car the yeah the distribution the the distribution and the the big five or whatever like yeah you're gonna disrupt the auto industry that has been completely unchanged and just eating up small uh, car companies they ate up all of these there was these a bunch of electric car companies that started popping up i think it was actually around the, the 80s. electric
1: car was invented before the gas car or around the same time at least mm. we've had it for almost 100 years now or if, yeah if not more but than they 100 just, years.
0: yeah i mean any time that somebody would start they would just get bought up henry ford by. was
1: not a good human being <laughs> <laughs>
0: And this brings us to our next segment. It's called (laughs) Why Henry Ford Was a Piece of Shit. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Just play it, folks. Just play it.
1: No. um, We're going to get into all the people that that everybody holds up as heroes and explain to you why they're actually bastards because they're human beings.
0: Oh, you know what? That's a good idea for a segment, actually. (laughs) Ruining your heroes with Hank and Nate. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about Picasso.
1: We're gonna talk about <laughs> okay, let's get let's get back to topic. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I I agree with you that like like we need people like him to 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 innovate. But the one thing that's that's important to understand is that if he didn't have if he couldn't show a a, a, a genuine ability to create profit, he would not be where he is today. Definitely. His companies weren't. He's gotten a massive, massive investment from tech companies. I used to work for what is now Tesla Energy, what was Solar City, and we were actually able to give away solar systems for free. And the reason why is because the government the United States government had a subsidy program that allowed tech companies like Google and Amazon and things like that to buy massive amounts of solar panels from solar city and then use that as a tax write-off. So the government essentially paid through various companies and tax breaks paid solar city to install solar panels on people's rooftops man that's
0: just it's such it's such shrewd entrepreneurship
1: well it also unfortunately those subsidies expired can't do that anymore mm. so got people keep calling me um we had to like have those in order to for that particular business model to work because basically what we right. would do is we would tell people, hey, we'll give you the solar system for free, but we own the system, so mm. excess power actually got resold back to back to Solar City uh-huh. or got got like That's like smart. sold to the grid, and the money was paid to Solar City, so. It was a very complicated relationship between private consumers, uh, private corporations, and public investment. Hmm. And so I think that it's important to understand that no matter what, no matter who, no matter how, we've got everybody from the most basic level has to put in investment into this stuff if we want it to work.
0: Hmm.
1: We've got to put in investment. You know, we, we, The people who we put into office are deciding on what companies to invest in. They're deciding on whether to subsidize fossil fuel companies or whether to subsidize re- renewable energy companies. They're deciding on the budgets for NASA. They're deciding on contracts for SpaceX or Boeing or all these different things. They're deciding on, on whether to spend that rocket money on rockets that go to the moon or rockets that go to the Middle East. So it's important that we all understand where our role and responsibility lies in this and that nothing is going to get done unless people want to make it happen. We're not going to be able to rely on somebody like Elon Musk alone just because he's great at what he does. He can't get us there alone. We have got to make massive, massive investments both publicly and privately into what he's doing
0: yeah and that's it's a great point that you bring up because really you know now that i think about it the where our power truly lies in some sense or in this context actually is with our dollar or corona like where do you spend that dollar because that is what you are supporting that is that is what you are investing in right yeah so you know am i one example am i going to i i kind of oscillate between thinking about um this idea One, one example is Okay, do I buy the, like, corn-fed, industrial, f- industrially farmed chicken? Or do, for um, 40 crowns, 40 Swedish krona, which is, like, four bucks? Or do I buy the local, organic, uh, like, pasture-raised Pieces of chicken for um, like nine times the price, eight or nine times the price.
1: Wait, really? You Your, yeah. your beef or your chicken is eight or nine times the price. So if, it, if it's $4, then it's a pound, it's gonna be
0: $36 a pound uh yes it's slightly less than that actually it's more like seven to eight times as much so it's at least in in this really? specific in this specific case with the two different things that I was looking at yeah geez mine uh
1: usually maybe I'm just not shopping properly but I'm pretty sure I've been paying attention well usually i I find that it's like around twice the price yeah so well if it's gonna you, be six you also bucks, have it's a lot more,
0: you have a lot more uh options. In the U S yeah. Like there's just more supply more. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. There's more competition I think in, in that range, but, but, but the idea is, yeah. I mean, you know, to bring that back around is if I look at my values and I, and I think about what's important to me and I think about sustainability and, you know, raising, animals in an ethical way and supporting the local economy reducing um unnecessary energy expenditure like you know transportation is a huge huge energy expenditure for yeah. human beings it's ridiculous so i really like the idea of supporting the local community and then you know what that does this, this brings us around into a different conversation that, that we'll have later. But what that does is it it improves the diversity of the market that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is when we're only supporting like these giant megacorps, which is really common, you know, they pop down a, a store in every place. When we go there because it's 10% cheaper or you know 30% cheaper or half as much uh then all of these small stores these mom and pop places these like places that are just people are there because it's their passion they close down because they can't compete to the you know the prices of these of this shit that's just made by Chinese slaves or you know whatever what <laughs> whatever it is choose your asian country and (laughs) you know just um and then there's a whole conversation to be had about yeah and there's a whole conversation to be had about you know the exploitation of these people and the and the oh, other options that they have and that whole thing but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother cast so yeah i think we can i just i guess i wanted to throw that in there because uh, you and I both really like to connect these ideas and these things to always reflecting it back towards us and yeah. our lives and how we can integrate this these understandings and these experiences that we have to benefit ourselves and each other.
1: Yeah, so to tie it together, I think that it's important to understand that now that spaceflight is becoming more commercialized, we do have more of a hand as a consumer economy we have more of a hand in where this goes now so it's, it's important for us to understand and take responsibility for the direction of where this goes and we need to we need to make investment as individuals both in our money and in our attention our time and just talking to people about it and spreading awareness about the subject so that we can help guide this new frontier in the right direction towards the progression of humanity and away from exploitation.
0: Yeah. And, you know, all of us together get to decide what that looks like. Yeah. We, as we learn more about, you know, as we explore this new frontier, we will inevitably be exposed to cornucopia of new stimuli. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to have to, you know, we're going to learn. We're going to adapt and grow. And we're going to talk about it and we're going to figure it out. Uh, and this is just another point where I, I really want to implore our listeners to share.
1: Casualcognitioncast
0: at gmail.com. Email us. We want to hear there from there you people. have it, folks. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to see your paintings. We wanna we wanna see and hear it all. Share your creativity. Share your thoughts. I I know I can speak for Nate on this when I say that it will make us so happy to open that email and see a story from one of you or a thought or or anything. It will anything. put a huge smile on my face.
1: We love you. We love you and thank you. Um, but before we wrap this up, we've got a short segment for you. Um, we're at about an hour and 15 minutes. So let's keep this one kind of brief but this
0: is a fun one that we're going to
1: be bringing back quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, so
0: so this segment is called self psychiatry and I want to just take a quick moment to tell you the definition of psychiatry. Ooh. It is the study and treatment of mental illness, emotional disturbance and abnormal behavior. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the study of trying to treat human beings from uh, being human beings basically <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out the difference between normal and abnormal behavior I certainly haven't figured it out
0: yeah it's it's pretty much just the the society decides there's the social conditioning and like the parental conditioning that decides what is abnormal and normal for for each individual although Mm -hmm. it's not very individuated but i just think that's a really funny uh really funny thing to call this because what we're doing is we're basically just gonna take the time to explore different aspects of ourselves things that we've noticed maybe thoughts or feelings or ideas that we've noticed that we find interesting or strange it ties into how we started the podcast talking about archetypes and carly jung like so it's it's related to this kind of process of psychoanalysis and you know thinking about maybe the different subpersonalities that are kind of taking charge in different moments of our lives and how how external stimulus you know can trigger thing trigger emotional and behavioral patterns and things like that and we're just going to we're just going to like talk about those those kind of experiences that we have and share share them with you guys
1: yeah yeah and Hank and I do a lot of mindfulness practice so that's kind of where this springs from which is essentially you know mindfulness is a buzzword these days and it's almost lost its meaning through that unfortunately but essentially what we're talking about is we try to pay attention to our thoughts, emotions and behaviors from an objective standpoint not from the place of being in them so when we're angry you know we're not trying necessarily trying to stop being angry we're noticing that we're angry and why mm. And one of the reasons why this is such an important and powerful practice is that in my experience, and I'll get into an example of this, when you put your, your attention onto something, onto a behavior and, and really focus on it and notice it all the time, it actually tends to change and usually oh, for the yeah. better so an example of this um, Hank and I did this segment in one of our demo podcasts that we didn't release and I was talking about how I've been kind of stressed with work for a while now and I've been feeling a little overwhelmed and um, feeling very exhausted and sometimes frustrated because when I get I'm kind of a yes man so when I have too many things on my plate I tend to continue to take on more shit Mm. and then I'm not able to deliver in the way that I would like to and then I get very upset with myself. So what's, Mm. what's been happening that I noticed a little while back is that I will something will pop into my mind that I either need to do that I'm late on or that I, I I have not done so well, or you know something that I'm dissatisfied with in my own performance of trying to get things done, and there will be an actual like physical, either sound or usually it's a phrase that I make, and I'll say out loud with nobody else around, "Man, I'm fucking tired," and it's like a hmm. it's like a balm on the guilt that I'm feeling and it's it's a it it's sort of an a justification that I'm giving myself and I never for I was doing it for a while without realizing it what the hell I was doing but I was I was trying to shove those feelings back down by saying I'm fucking tired the implication being yeah, I didn't do this the way that I wanted to, or I haven't gotten this done yet. But it's because I'm so fucking tired right now. And what I what I tried to start doing is telling myself, no, I'm I'm I might be tired in the moment, but I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to ignore this thing that I haven't done, or this thing that I feel like I've not done well enough. And you know as a as an aside most of the time if i were to actually go to the person that i'm worried about disappointing they'd be like it's fine stop worrying about it so much like it's not a big deal to most people it's just a big deal to me yeah and so what i started doing is every time that i would say i'm fucking tired i would try to think why am i saying that what's going on what did I mm. think that made me say that? And it be, it's become since you and I talked about this during that demo podcast, it's actually become kind of a funny thing for me because I'll sometimes I'll still say it and then I'll 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 recognize like oh it's that thing again and then I'll just start laughing mm. like I caught it and what I've found is that now. I'm saying it less and less and it's happening less and less. And it's not that I'm just doing that weird reaction less and less. I'm recognizing earlier that I'm dwelling on some sort of thing like that or I'm feeling unnecessarily guilty. And just the – I'm not pushing it down. I'm not putting it away. I'm not giving myself further justification. Just the simple act of awareness Mm. of the issue – has caused it to diminish and
0: almost disappear entirely wow let me ask you something nate because when i hear that i there's a few things floating around that are kind of lighting up Uh, one of those ideas is archetypes and the other thing is that i when i'm listening to you i'm thinking like it it sounds like there are multiple um personalities inside of your head that are communicating with each other so we contain just, multitudes my friend so i just wanted to ask you about how you experience that
1: so I am a full-on believer that the human personality is not a singular thing, but a gestalt of many things that come yeah. together. And the, if you do some basic self-exploration, I think that it's pretty obvious on how this works. Um, the, uh, the, the ancient, um, I think it's Samkhya philosophical explanation of it they have like a bunch of different distinctions so they have the manas the buddhi the ahamkara and atman which is the lower mind the upper mind the ego and the soul or the self
0: hmm.
1: and um I, I won't get into that too much but It's just an example of these divisions, and you can think about that part of you. I think everybody can relate to opening the fridge a half a dozen times and never actually pulling something out. It's a classic joke like, yep, I'm going to open up the fridge again and pretend there's going to be something in there (laughs) that wasn't there the last three times I opened the fridge and the that grazer. would be yeah that would be your <laughs> or your, the gazer sorry yeah, that, that would be sort of your your lower mind that's bored that's trying to fill in the space with some kind of sensory input you're not really hungry and you find yourself doing it sort of without thinking so your yeah. intellect your higher mind is not really involved in that decision right and oftentimes we do a lot of subconscious bad behavior so we do a lot of snacking out of boredom we do a lot of last last thing last time we talked about um you talked about reddit a little bit it's very easy to get subconsciously lower mind kind of addicted to social media networks and entertainment like that where you're not really paying a lot of attention to what you're doing you're just keeping your hands, your eyes, your ears,
0: man, your senses busy. But that's an absolute epidemic that we need to address. I feel it's a huge problem, and
1: the the way out of it is through awareness. In my mind, it's not uh, like uh, it, it, I think that the there's a there's too much of an emphasis on discipline and not, uh, not I'm not saying that's not important discipline is very important but it's like you're trying to fight fire with fire discipline is essentially training that lower mind part of us to where we naturally move
0: towards what we want
1: yeah but it's basically catalyst...
0: using willpower to establish systematically um a, a structure of habits that you yeah. that you generally tend towards doing over other things,
1: and that can because work
0: because you've just repped it out. So you just set those neural pathways and start start deepening those grooves.
1: And that can work, but I think that in the modern day, it's harder, and willpower itself. Is based on your brain structure. People naturally have more or less willpower. Yeah, but everybody has the same awareness. Mm. It's everybody has that ability, and it doesn't take discipline. It just takes remembering, really. And yeah. you can use Although you can tools train to both. help you. You can. I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm just saying there's an overemphasis on discipline and an underemphasis on becoming aware of why you need that discipline. And that's why I agree. That's why so many people will, for example, this is a a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about here. Think of somebody who is out of shape and unhealthy and they have bad eating habits and bad exercise habits. And suddenly they get involved with a nutritionist and a trainer and they get really excited. They find they're really interested in it. And then suddenly, two years later, they've gone completely overboard in the other direction and they're using substances to try and increase their training capabilities, maybe steroids or something like that. They're eating in a way that is no longer healthy but just is in a, in, meant to calorically fit their training needs and originally the intention or the, the the supposed intention would be to stop being unhealthy and become healthy. But in this way they've just gone unhealthy in the complete opposite direction because there's not enough awareness of what's going on, why you doing this, why are you trying mm-hmm. to distract yourself with these with these various things. And so yeah, a, I think that's a great awareness. Yeah, awareness I think naturally brings balance without effort. There's effort that comes along with it, and effort is always necessary uh, for everything that we do. But awareness in and of itself is very gentle, but also very powerful. And if you just try it, it takes some time. You've got to be patient with it. But if you try it, I think that you will find that you can change certain behaviors about yourself without putting a whole lot of effort into it, just by putting awareness into it and putting yeah, just, reminders for yourself. Just watching. Just watching. The ego does not like to be observed. It hides from uh, from observation.
0: Yeah, and, and in the spirit of self-psychiatry, I think I'll bring it back around to uh, bringing this into the personal, right? So my example... That I that I um, noticed was I'm in this phase right now where I'm extremely excited about many different avenues in my life. I'm really excited about this podcast, and and it's mostly just to clarify, like it's a general feeling, but my my. Awareness and my especially my thinking has been especially dwelling in the realm of creation, creativity, creating. Yeah. So it's stuff around the podcast, it's around music. It's around um, starting a business. It's like very much a doing. It's very much in in a doing mode. And I found myself, over the last few days, I've been, I felt very creative, wrote a new song that I really like. I've been having all of these ideas. However, I've noticed that it started to bring me into a, a, almost a state of mania where I'm so, passionate and excited and into um, the the pursuit that I kind of forget about my my like feeling my body like feet you know literally going completely into my head and forgetting that I even have a body you know what I mean? Be- being oh, yeah. so being so absorbed in in the thinking and the ideas and the um visions of of grandeur, right? Uh and and so but it's so interesting because when, when I reach that state, when I start to feel manic, like there's a underlying sense of uncomfortableness. And that really points me into feeling into my my body. Yeah. And like one of the reasons why that's important, for example, uh, like a, a a very practical thing that I didn't even really think about, uh, but from a completely practical perspective, it's super important to feel uh, your body if you're if you're playing an instrument like I I'm playing a lot of guitar and like the 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 bio the biodynamics of the human body is absolutely astounding and incredible but it's not made to play guitar so you have to like you have to take care of your body you have to make sure you give time to you know expand and relax after contracting and like getting in the zone and this is something you know I use this idea of music but it's with anything any creative pursuit any just the process of life itself is this continual um, dynamism between contraction and expansion the in-breath and the out-breath the waves coming in, the tide coming in and out, the cycles of the moon, sine waves, uh, light, sound. I mean, it's all, it's all there. Yeah, yeah. And I,
1: I, to, I think we, uh, we need to wrap it up here, but to, um, I'd like to try something here. And to just give a little experiment for our listeners to try if they're interested in doing something like this. You know, Hank and I have been doing mindfulness practice for years now, and, and we're, we're kind of you, we've learned the ropes of it and we've learned a lot of different techniques. But, uh, you know, some people listening might have never even heard of this sort of concept before. So if you'd like to try this, here's what you ought to try go out for a walk or or drive somewhere where you're not you don't have too many things to do and start focusing on your breath and see how long you can hold that focus if you're anything like me it'll be about 3 to 5 seconds before you lose focus <laughs> and it it kind of Demon will demonstrate to you how disparate and fragmented our normal waking consciousness is. We think of it as this steady stream from A to B. You know, we, we don't really break it up in, in, unless we're unconscious or we're asleep, asleep. But I promise you, if you try this, you'll find that your consciousness is much more fragmented than you think it is. So try to focus on the breath for as long as you can on a little walk or a little drive and see what you think. And if you find something interesting, give us an email about it. We'd love to hear it.
0: Yeah, let us know how your how your uh, meetings with the shitty committee go. That's <laughs> <As laughs> yeah, my dad. That's my dad the calls Shitty it.
1: committee. <laughs> Yes. We'll uh yes. we'll
0: we'll let you guys know what we'll, we'll we can maybe drop drop that as a little uh a little cliffhanger. <laughs> we can just mention that maybe sometime next episode. Oh I think you guys will yeah. enjoy it. It's a funny idea. Yeah. All right, man. Or maybe well, next next uh self psychiatry. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes.
1: All right, man. Well, Great podcast. Great talking to you, Hank. And, awesome. Talking um, to you. Let's do it again and we're gonna we're gonna keep on trying to to do the two weeks right now, but we're eventually going to get to weekly. We've just got to get down schedules and um, and timing and I've got to get a little bit better at sound editing so it doesn't take me so long. but we're gonna try and get it out more often for people. So we will see you guys very soon. Thank you so much for listening. And um, once again, that email is casualcognitioncast at gmail.com.
0: Folks, thank you for listening. We love you. Catch you next time. There you have it, folks. Casual
1: Cognition number two. I'm going to be releasing this a little bit early, but we are going to try and get this out on Tuesdays generally to start off. So subscribe on whatever you're listening on and look for it. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you soon.